I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. There was just this void. People were selling expensive things of really low quality. So we said, let's do it at a lower margin. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, Frame co-founder and chairman Jens Greed walks us through the evolution of his career from ad agency Rockstar to running a denim empire. Frame started as a premium jeans line, now one of the hottest apparel and lifestyle brands out there, and is based in LA very deliberately. But Jens had to take a few big risks to get to the place Frame is today, and it's still an uphill battle. Everyone's telling you no all the time. And I'm thinking, but it's Ericsson, my company. How can you tell me no? Why are you more scared than I? I have so much to lose. Find out how Jens took what he learned from advertising and pivoted to something completely different. Why all premium denim is not created equal and where Frame is expanding to next. Unfinished Biz starts now. Rob, as you know, we spend a lot of time, and our brands do as well, working with a number of different agencies, whether it's cross-branding, PR, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But rarely have we ever seen them go to the other side, despite being part of building brands. That's totally true. I think a lot of folks take a lot of pride in really saying that you know, these agencies build brands, right? They take a lot of attribution. But for someone to actually cross over to the other side, put their money where their mouth is, and actually own a brand, that doesn't happen every day. And take day. all that risk. Exactly. But, you know, Jens really did that, and he told us a lot more about his journey when he joined us in our VMG offices in L.A. My entrepreneurial journey began because me and my best friend, Eric, couldn't get a job together. And it's hard enough to get a job especially in advertising. It's even harder if you have decided that you are inseparable and you had to get a job together. <laughs> How do you yeah, know, Because they have to hire two people. Right. So this, is a <laughs> this is a childhood buddy? or No, we met in London. We were okay. both from Sweden, uh -huh. um, about an hour outside of Stockholm. Me an hour south, he an hour west. Yeah. Uh, we're both from small towns of 2,000 people. That is 20 minutes outside of a town of 30,000 people, which is 45 minutes away from <laughs> Stockholm. <laughs> yep. But it's easier to say Stockholm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So we met working for a man called Tyler Brule at a magazine called Wallpaper back in uh, the year 2000. When did you move to the States? I only moved two and a half years ago. Okay. Oh, wow. But I founded my first company actually here in California when I was 27. Okay. So okay. California is not new to me. Got it. In fact, I believe I must have spent two to four months a year here for the past 15 years, gotcha. a year or so. So you it found felt it like a, a second home. So you founded a company from abroad. Absolutely. Well, it wasn't like a big decision. It was a passion project, something we wanted to do. We loved traveling. I loved coming out here and I loved having a reason to go here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's great if you're in a relationship and you want to go to California. It's great to have business go to. <laughs> right. So... I think I founded my first company out here just because we loved coming to California. We used to shoot a lot of campaigns and commercials out here. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of friends. So we set up our first business on Abbott Kinney. Nice. Maybe and this 15 was 15 years ago. And this was with, with Eric? Yeah. Yeah. And what was that first business? What was the first idea? Well, our first company was called Saturday. And it was an advertising agency based in London. 
And it's like that in advertising. You get one client, and when you have two, it's a conflict. But when you have three, you're an expert. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, yeah. So like over the following 10 years or so, we built a global advertising business known as the Saturday Group that comprised about 12 different businesses mm -hmm. from advertising, public relations, production companies, talent representation, licensing, wow. uh, even distribution of clothes. But it was kind of all anchored in fashion and consumer goods and media. Gotcha. What ended up happening with Saturday? So Saturday Group was sold in two parts. So one part was bought by Omnicom, okay. which is a big global listed company from the US. And the other half was bought by Interpublic, which is also a, a big listed group. So At the same time? Uh, yeah, maybe a year in between. Okay. You know, we had come to this point. Uh, I was mid-30s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I never want to work in advertising after I'm 40. There's no way. Why is that? Why? Why? Yeah. You got to... Um, you got to be young to be able to eat that much shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Love it. There just comes an age, and I think if you are, you know, pushing fifty and mm -hmm. you're being told what to do by twenty-eight-year-olds, yeah, you I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. you know, I need to get out. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, did you have a plan after? So, the idea, you know, selling the business. Did you already have sort of? the next steps in your mind or did you just take some time to think no time to think we sold our advertising agency business uh -huh. and we had frame and i think that that was perhaps the crutch that we needed to do it yeah you know knowing what you're going to do and what you wanted to focus your time on you know the company was probably already doing 60 80 million dollars at the time so so let's go backwards again so back during your saturday era Walk us through. So, did you start? So, you started other businesses while also running Saturday. Exactly. Well, I realized I wasn't as talented as my friend Eric creatively. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I had to use my time and bring some value. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a unbelievable art director and an advertising creative, and me was of mediocre talent. But I was good at building businesses, building teams. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've always been the kind of guy that you said you want to build a rocket. Let's figure it out. Right. There's got to be a way to do it. And, yeah. and you kind of work, you know, you start <laughs> you there. Figure it out. Yeah. All right, who can we call? Right. <laughs> who knows anything about rockets? Right. So that's always been our methodology. So as we were building the advertising agency and we were relatively young at the time, maybe 27, mm -hmm. yeah. 28. We at the time we didn't we weren't married we mm -hmm. didn't own any property right we were you know we didn't have any kids no dog no car no yeah. watch yeah literally nothing yeah and we had no real aspirations for any of it so when we started to make money as we were taking on big global pieces of work yeah for companies like H and M and Calvin Klein we put all that money back into our own business yep and I remember a few friends of ours saying you know Eric and Jens are full of shit. You know, they're not doing as well as they're saying. Look at them. They have no car. They have no watch. <laughs> <laughs> but for us, that all came second. We knew we were going to win in the end. Yep. So we just put all that money back into our company. And in a consultancy business, when you scale it, yeah. it's all about how many people and how many billable hours per person. Right. So as an entrepreneur and someone who wants to grow fast, it can be frustrating mm -hmm. because... You definitely don't make money when you sleep. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a definition of not making money right. when you sleep. Uh -huh. And at the time in the global economy was the rise of the procurement department. 
I think advertising became, you know, was less sexy of a business uh-huh. yeah, to, to be in. So we tried to own all the ancillary businesses to our own business. Yeah. So if you're an advertising agency, you naturally want to have the production company that produces the material you do for the client. Right. You're mm-hmm. vertically integrating. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you're sitting there meeting with the PR agency, you know, battling it out yep. for the client's attention, right. you know, and goodwill. Mm-hmm. So why not own the PR agency? Right. Yeah. You know, we were always on occasion. We were working with a lot of talent and celebrities at a time. And you end up wanting to broker those deals. Mm-hmm. And if you're working with talent and you're making them money, they tend to ask you to do more work for them. And kind of organically, this business was built. Gotcha. Uh, first from the UK and then uh, in the US, Europe, gotcha. and so forth. So how did you end up starting other businesses that were not exactly vertically integrating the advertising business. How did you decide to, to branch out outside of, of the services business? People often ask me what, what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I say I do two things. One side of me, it's a creative entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I have a business. I run that business. I get up in the morning. I go there. I have five cups of coffee, not two. <laughs> You're working <laughs> yep. your way down. And, yep. uh, yeah. And, I, and I, get, I, get on, I get on with work. And yeah. I, I, I lead my team and I'm passionate about what I do. It gives me purpose. Other side of me are constantly inspired by other creatives, other entrepreneurs, and great ideas. Mm-hmm. And Eric and I have always invested in the generation around us gotcha. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Not in a traditional VC way or as a growth, you know, growth investor, but really as a operating partner. Right. Mm-hmm. This person has something that is special. How could we together make it happen? The analogy I used of like building a rocket, but yeah. if we have a white piece of paper, I know what you do. You have a special talent. Right. And I'm going to help you make that talent a business. Yep. Yep. And. I guess thinking back at my life, that's what I did working with Eric. He he had that something, and right. and I built a business around him. Mm-hmm. And over the past, you know, the past fifteen years, that what we've done several times over. Mm-hmm. Frame was slightly different because we started Frame because it was just a passion project. We were working with these amazing entrepreneurs, yeah, amazing leaders in the luxury goods and consumer space. Mm-hmm. You get inspired, right? If you're having meetings with Bernard Arnault, you're yeah. getting inspired. You yeah. want to try it for yourself. <laughs> that's right. You're working with Remo Ruffini at Montclair. You get inspired. And that's exactly what we were. We were just inspired to go from running an agency to being our own client. Yeah. Effectively. Like, we want to do what that guy does. Right. That seems so much better. So what was on the whiteboard of things you were considering? We wanted to be in fashion. Yeah. Okay. That, that's been my whole life. Yeah. We started both at fashion magazines when we were barely 20 years old right. and worked our way up. We had always been in the image-making image making side of fashion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That had led us to start an advertising agency and learn more about the business. Now we were in distribution of clothes. Right. We were in licensing of, of branded properties, but we weren't really making it. It was always a compromise. Right. We had started a magazine. We'd started two magazines at the time, actually. One called Man About Town and one called Industry. We were working with Vogue China. We were working with GQ. And we just came to this point where we want to bring everything that we are about, our aesthetic, undiluted, into a project, into our own brand. How did the name come about? And also, why did you guys focus on jeans first? 
that's two a questions. Bit, that's a, that's a very good. <laughs> that's a very good question. I think we went through an iteration of names. Uh-huh. Frame stands for the frame of the of the human body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's kind of that. What's lent the inspiration to the name? Mm-hmm. You know, another version of that story is that I sat in my living room and I said, you know, table, uh, sofa, frame, uh-huh. and. Uh, <laughs> And sofa didn't sound yeah, quite as good. Exactly. Could have, that could have happened. Yeah. Sofa jeans. It could exactly. have been, you know, post-rationalization to yeah. say that it stands for the frame of the human body. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, great names are yeah, five great. letters yeah. in general. Uh-huh. Frame, Levi's. I like that takeaway. Great we've, names we've, are five letters. Yeah. yeah f- really four to six. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. they tend to be. And a successful name also have to feel instantly memorable. Mm-hmm. Like you're, like it could already exist, yeah. But you just does, didn't know about it, or that it kind of existed and you knew about it, but you can't remember where you That's knew good, about it from. Yeah, you're like, I've heard of that, but yeah. So, as an advertiser, I would tell you if I was pitching you and you were my client, yeah. I would say that's an instant classic. So you try to find a name that feels instantly comfortable. Gotcha. And, and why jeans? Well, first and foremost, because we liked coming to L.A. And if you want to make the best jeans, yeah. you go to L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what the city is all about. And if you want to make the best shoes, you go to Marquee in Italy. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to start a business, you want to start it in Los Angeles, you want to be in fashion, right. then you got to be in jeans. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like that. And just like, you know, the rocket analogy, we sat around um, probably a bar, not the kitchen table. And said to ourselves, who can we call? <laughs> who, knows, yeah. who knows anything about jeans? And, mm-hmm. and, and we found um, two guys here in Los Angeles, Josh and Nico, and, and we partnered up with them. And, and uh, Nico really helped make or that a reality and, for and, us. And they know how to make jeans. Is he that- knew how to make jeans. So you have, you have your agency. You've vertically integrated to all, almost every direction you can think of from mm-hmm. distribution to a magazine to PR, et cetera. You're starting your own product brand. Mm-hmm. You're, a fas- you're a fashion agency, so you want to be in fashion. You want to be in L.A., so you got to do jeans. Four to six letters make a great name. That's right. So you know, now you have a jean company. So, how, so what was the next thing you, that you were doing? How did you get it off the ground and start making and selling product? You have to have somewhere to sell them. Yeah. Right, you have to have somewhere to sell Absolutely. it. First of all, I love it when you told me back my story. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've left out everything that didn't go right. Yeah, um, on that journey, but that's exactly where we ended up. So we presented the line to Netta Porte and Barney's. Rest in peace. Yep. Yeah. And uh, a few other of those retailers that are universally respected, mm-hmm. and they bought it. Gotcha. So those are the two, the first two accounts that you called on. And what was the pitch? So, you know, they have a ton of jeans brands already established and, you know, you and your three other buddies come in with another gene. How did you answer the question? Why frame? I think we had a very special cocktail. I would say it's one part arrogance, one part being totally naive to what you're doing and one part good product. Mm -hmm. You know, but if you think about why it wouldn't work you tend never to do anything right yeah and if you believe in what you're doing and if you love what you do someone else probably will like it too yeah and i think at the time we didn't know what we were doing and i think that was great but in terms of the creative expression of what we were doing we were pretty planned Mm -hmm. we were pretty strategic about that from Mm -hmm. 
price, the quality of what we were making. At that time in fashion, and I'm trying not to be too granular, mm-hmm. there was just this void. People were selling expensive things of really low quality. So we said, let's do it at a lower margin. Let's mm-hmm. not offer any discounts. Right. Then we can sell a better product at the same price. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how Frame One. Ultimately, that's how Frame One. It was a it was a wonderful product for the price that we were offering. What what, what year was that? That was seven years ago. Seven years ago, yeah. so uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, it was the November twenty twelve. Oh, okay. Wow. And then, what type of margin were jean companies taking at the time that you th- that you felt like they're just taking too much margin? And what's what was an acceptable margin in your mind in building a business? If you were successful in wholesale at that point in time, you were selling to the big big retailers. That's right. Mm-hmm. They force you to give them discounts right. for a myriad of things that right. you didn't know you it's wanted. It's a black to box. Pay yeah. them All discounts sorts of for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, early payment. Yeah. Discount of eight percent. Really? Yeah. Shouldn't we all pay us <laughs> or pay each other on time? Right. Isn't that the done thing in this world? Right. Yeah. No, no. But we are actually going to pay you on time. Right. Yeah. Okay. So eight percent, and then they want you know co-op marketing money, yep. totally for having in a newsletter or not, right? And so forth and so forth. Yep. So if you come to market and you just do not do it, uh-huh. and you don't sell your product or take it back if it doesn't sell on the floor, yep. There's just more room to get to the same retail price for the customer, right? Yeah, and if you put that back into the product, you'll have a much better product. So the bigger established brands at that point in time offering deep discounts right. they took back everything that didn't sell yeah. right. they were using wholesale channels as really their own retail so yep. they were kind of responsible for their own inventory yeah. that's right but without any of the margin gain right. yep and a lot of these brands at the time had been sold recently yeah you know to in, in a wave of private equity um, yep. acquisitions and they had been maximizes the purchase price by yeah. getting a little bit loose with what the vision was, yeah. why they were doing product to begin with, their style. Yeah. So they were pumping out a lot of inventory. And they were, of course, reducing the cost to increase profitability. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. You know, good for them. They, they live fabulous lives. Um, you but know. it created an opportunity. Yeah, it was for a white you. space. It, it just created an opportunity. Yeah. It, it just created this, this moment in time that... If you understood that and, and you put the money back into the product, then a customer would take three pairs of jeans to a fitting room. Mm-hmm. One would feel entirely different. Right. Right. One would feel like a true premium experience. So was it more word of mouth that actually got frame additional you know, acceleration? Or did you guys do something different? It coincided with the fashion industry itself making its way from behind the scenes to mm-hmm. in front of the camera. Okay. We all familiar with supermodels of the 90s. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden there was a new wave of supermodels like Miranda Kerr and Giselle and mm-hmm. Rosie Huntington. And these were girls that Eric and I had worked with for many years since the beginning of their careers. Mm-hmm. You know, on photo shoots, on spreads for Vogue, yeah. for advertising campaigns, for, for fashion brands. So they were they were naturally curious about what we did. Yeah. Not that any of them would endorse frame just out of the goodness of their heart. Right. But they'll try it. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's good, they'll wear it. Yep. And it 
they get sent everything. I mean, they have all the options in the world. I have to imagine, yeah. But we had a great gene. Mm-hmm. We had a great gene, and uh, they wore it, and they wore it twice, and they wore it three times and four times, and and all of a sudden, you know, they were in the Us Weeklies of this world, Daily Mail. Yep. Instagram was taking off. People were much less precious about you know what they're wearing and talking about what they're wearing. Back in it the wasn't day. commercialized. That's right. Yeah. You know, so it's much more organic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the timing of those two things. So a high quality product, just seeing that market opportunity that we can put the premium experience back mm-hmm. into a product that really has been deprived of it, and the reemergence of the new supermodel. Yeah. Those two things created the platform for Frame. And how did you find it starting of, of the business? We funded it ourselves, okay. Eric and I, to start with for the first couple of years. Then there came this moment, I think, in year two. And we weren't running out of money or anything. We were doing great. We were profitable from the start. I wish I had a... I definitely have stores of trial and error and failure. But from uh, a cash flow point of view, we did not have that problem So mm-hmm. at the time. But what we did, we had a, a knowledge problem. Right. I had an experience problem. Right. You know, we were marketing guys. What yeah. the hell did I know about <laughs> retail? Yeah. You know, and you do feel as it was taking off, oh, my God, we actually don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I was working with a guy called Andrew Rosen, who was the founder of Fury. Yeah. Yeah. Eric and I had rebranded Fury. Okay. Yeah. And we had known him for a long time. And he was asking us, can I invest in frame? Can yeah. I invest in frame? And we had said no since we started. And I said to Eric, you know what? Maybe we should have Andrew invest <laughs> in frame because I can try to get this done for us. Right. However, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I can try to make up a blueprint, but it's going to be like an architect trying to draw a house with no formal training. Right. It, it might fall down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... He has the blueprint. Right. Why He's done don't, this before. Why don't we invite him in? Yeah. Why don't Why don't we invite him in? It was this single-handedly the best decision we've ever made. That's interesting. Was he? Is it just him as an individual uh, that he put kind of money in and became a, a mentor? Yeah, him as an individual and mm-hmm. another guy called John Howard who has a company called Irving Place Capital. Yep. Yep. And the two of them together, Andrew is, you know, more than a mentor. Mm-hmm. Today in my life, I speak to him every single day about everything. Yep. If anything happens in my life, in business or personal, I'm he's one of the first people to know it. That's so great. it's been a, it's been a phenomenal relationship. That's fantastic. And, and what was the the most tangible thing he did in those early days that really helped you change the trajectory of the business? He was setting us straight. Yeah. You know, a number of times, and he has a way to coach you. It's not. While it's hard, mm-hmm. he's not forcing you. Right. He would never say, if you don't do this. Yeah. But he would tell you, if you do do this, this is going to happen. Right. It's your choice. And there was many times where Eric and I said, mm, no, we're fine. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And six months or a year later, it turned out he was absolutely right. You know, rumors you're you're involved in a number of different entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, You know, walk us through kind of what's transpired since, you know, your agency to frame. What else are you involved in and how do you get and how are you involved? Well, currently, I think I have a very small portfolio Mm -hmm. and I believe I used to have a much bigger portfolio. So right now it's very focused. Yeah. 
that is very focused here in Los Angeles. But as an investor in Good and American, mm -hmm. which was founded by uh, my wife, Emma, and Khloe Kardashian. And obviously, I've been trying to help and in any shape or way I, I can and take the experiences yeah. you know, that I've had and and help them on their journey, hopefully without being overbearing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's a fine, that's a, that's fine a very line. fine line. Yep. You know, it's uh, when you're an operator, not an investor, you have to watch yourself a mm -hmm. little bit. And as a partner to Kim Kardashian in her venture skims, which launched earlier this year. That's exciting. Yeah, it's been awesome. And can you describe both of those? Just a quick sort of one-liner in terms of what those two businesses are for folks who've never heard of them before. Yeah, I believe that Emma and Chloe identified that the shape of fashion and the shape of popular culture physically is two different things today. And that there was there was an element of discrimination in shopping. Yeah. Two friends going shopping together and one has to go to one section and the other friend has to go to another section. Mm -hmm. We don't have that anywhere else in society. So they created a brand for, I would say, the shape of today. And it's truly size inclusive and it is authentically diverse mm -hmm. not painted on it's not a fmcg commercial right. you know it's yeah. authentically a reflection of them as individuals and their community around them and i don't think that exists anywhere so and it's really resonated yeah. it really really resonated with 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 people all across america what's and what's it like in a household of two Two fashion entrepreneurs <laughs> in a similar category. Oh, it's uh, just like you open a door, it's sweet classical music. <laughs> That's what I figured. Impeccably dressed kids will come up and, you know, exactly. introduce themselves. Yes. And, you know, maybe play the violin for you. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Hello, mom. Hello, papa. <laughs> yeah. uh, sir, I like to be dressed. Yeah, that's yeah. right. No. Uh, just kidding. It's it's the same chaos that I'm sure everyone else um, experiences with two small kids and, yeah. uh, and two careers. I think you just have to watch yourself a little bit so you don't make your home life your work life. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're both incredibly passionate mm -hmm. about what we do. So, you know, you come home from work, you have, you need to vent, right? We all, we all do that with yeah. our partners. What kind of day was it? Well, how was your day? Oh, you can't believe it. <laughs> 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 kind of day. Yeah. That's usually me, by the way. <laughs> and you've got to make sure that if you know everyone involved and you're all working together, I've had to learn this. It's my number one tip of life to anyone who's married. To, Here it is. To I someone know. who they work with. Yep. Sometimes you just have to listen. At mm -hmm. home, after 7 or 8 p.m., this is not a meeting. Yeah. It's this not is, a time to solve problems. It's not a meeting. It's yeah. not a problem-solving exercise. And it's hard for me because my work and my life are entirely intertwined. Right. Eric is my best friend. Right. He's also my business partner. He's yeah. a godfather to my, to, to my kids. I'm yeah. the godfather to his son. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding. Yep. So our work life and my friend life is intertwined. Right. And my, you know... My marriage and my work life is intertwined. Yeah. God knows what I did in previous lives to deserve <laughs> this or to, to do this to myself. And I love that. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's not work if I love it. So mm -hmm. this is what I'm thinking about. And I'm probably thinking about it last night as I was watching The Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, I'm checking my phone, responding to things, yeah. you know. Baby Yoda. Missed, <laughs> almost missed the Baby Yoda moment. Had to rewind it to catch it. Yeah. yeah. Was it because of that 
the Chloe relationship then led to to the Kim co-investment too on this other business? Not necessarily through Chloe. We have been friendly with the family for quite a while, my wife has, so it just kind of naturally happened. I don't know what the jump off point was. I think Kim wanted to be in this business. She wanted to, she believed she had an idea of what she wanted to do. Yeah. Very much so, I think aesthetically, creatively, product-wise. And, you know, she, she maybe she sat there with a white piece of paper and picked up the phone, and unfortunately she called me. <laughs> and, <laughs> for and, me. and what's the premise of this business? So it's underwear, shapewear. It's a solution-based company. Okay. Yeah. It really is trying to solve a problem of dressing for its customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is, that is why it's there. That's what it's about. That's how they think. It's about innovation yeah. in fabrication and how these uh, garments perform. Underwear and shapewear really are performance wear more so than they are mm-hmm. fashion wear. Right. 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 That makes a lot of sense. And how are you balancing yeah. your time now? I mean, you've got obviously frame, you know, and you've got involvement in mm-hmm. your wife's business, you know, with skims. And, I mean, a, and a few others. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sure you're dabbling in other things. Yeah. How do you prioritize? A father, a husband. Yeah. It's hard. You know, you have to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to set boundaries and you have to, you can't do everything anymore. You know, I can't go to every party. That's just not going to happen. I can't do golf trips. Yeah. Well, I suck at golf. So. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. Tri- even, even if I had the time, yeah. I still wouldn't go because right. I'm yeah. that bad. Right. You have, you have to set boundaries. You have to be very regimented. Mm-hmm. I have a time when I get up. I have my routine. I wake my kids up. I take my son to school because it's on the way to work. Yeah. I run my day in 30 minutes increments. Oh. I make sure that all the business that I'm involved in is in one neighborhood. <laughs> yep. Uh, all in Culver City, California. Important in LA. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to spend time in traffic. Yep. And I want to be able to, in two minutes, go between them. And uh, yeah, I just plan my day that way. Yeah. But there's very little room to maneuver. Yeah. But that's okay because, you know, if you want something, you got to sacrifice something. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how it works. And you try the best you can. Makes sense. Well, it seems like you got it all, all figured out. No, no, I don't <laughs> think anyone has it figured out. I think <laughs> it's always testing and you're always trying to hit the right balance. And remember, in the end of the day, it's just work. Right. You know, when we look back at this, and, and you guys have interviewed some amazing founders. Mm-hmm. And 20 years ago, it would be in a different set of founders. Yep. Yep. And, you know, some of those businesses are incredibly relevant, even if those founders are no longer at those companies. Yep. And you got to think what, what's going to matter at the end of the day. And, and I can't miss my, my kids' events, their performances, or, you know, mm-hmm. my son's karate test, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it might be. I can't, I can't miss those things because I, you know, had one conference call today, right. you know. Yeah. There's always going to be another conference call. It's not going to be another one of yeah. those, yeah. you know, another recital like that. So and then I have a I have a management philosophy, I guess I patched together from people that I admire, and it really goes something like this: I'm a basketball coach, okay, and I put five I put five players on the court. Mm-hmm. If you're losing in the fourth quarter, I'm not going to be able to run in and sink a three pointer for you, right? I will deal with it this in, in the off-season. My biggest and most important job is to make sure I have the right players, that we share a system of playing, that they feel supported, 
and guided, but I'm not going to do the work for them. Right. So I'm a basketball coach, and I encourage everyone that report to me to think the same way and really empower their reports to make decisions. It's okay if we fail. We fail all the time. You make good decisions. You make bad decisions. But ultimately, you make a decision and move on. That's right. the most important thing. Yeah. You don't have to do that many things right. Only a few. You can take 99 losses for every skims. You can take 99 losses for every frame. It's okay. Right after the break, we'll be back with our featured guest, Jens Greed. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. Subscribe for free on the podcast app of your choice and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com. Follow us on our Unfinished Biz LinkedIn page and we'll keep you up to date on everything that's new. And if you love the show, we'd love an iTunes review. But now, let's get back to our episode with Frame co-founder and chairman, Jens Greed. So for Frame specifically, was there a bet the company moment? I think there was a bet the life moment. No, that, oh, those, are, those are high stakes. I was very content living in London and in the UK. We had a good life. We just had our daughter. And I had been working with Eric for 15 years. We had desks facing each other for since we were 21 years old. And we still did it today. Mm-hmm. And to uproot that and split from my friend and business partner, we didn't split in business, but split in terms of me moving here, he, him staying there, taking, you know, your son away from a school where he's happy and taking your wife away from her family and friends and three sisters. Yeah. That's definitely a better life moment because when everything is good, it's really hard to pull out of it, you know, and say, you know what, I want something else. I want to be happy in five years. I want to be happy in 10 years. Right. If we don't move, I'm not going to realize the potential that I believe we have. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. Not because we think it's, not because we're moving away from anything that right. we don't like. Right. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And that's scary. Yeah. It's scary. And I think we probably dragged our feet for a year or a couple of years before we did it. And then we did it. And I was very, very worried that especially my wife wouldn't be happy in Los Angeles. I was always the LA fan. Yeah. Far more Americanized, perhaps, and she was, you know, a football fan, you know, basketball fan, you know, and and she was more traditionally English. So uh, I I was worried about her two and a half years later. I don't think she will ever move home. (laughs) (laughs) I think after about three days in Los Angeles, she was like, no, I'm good now. This is it. So it was it was it was a quick adjustment there. Yeah, that's good. I'm the kind of person who goes, you know what? you think in a year's time, in two years' time, you know, I'm always the, always yeah. the grass is greener, you know. Yeah. Let's move to like, yeah. you know, Europe is great. I'm going to flip it on her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, congrats on all the entrepreneurial success. Is there a particular high point that stands out in your mind on your frame journey? I think the high point is right now. I think the journey is the high point. You know, right now things are going well. I feel that our, uh, I walked into our new store at the Grove here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and I felt we were making progress. I think we had come out of a particularly bad time. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about a low point, the low point was, you know, about a year ago. We had become this, you know, little big company, too small, not new enough to get things for free. You have all that organic hype. Yep. Everyone's writing about you because the story hasn't been written yet. Mm -hmm. You know, you're surfing that wave of 
where everyone wants it and mm -hmm. everyone wants you mm -hmm. and you're small enough, you know everyone, everyone feels so committed because right. they own the journey with you. And then you blink and there's hundreds of people, you don't know everyone anymore. Yeah. No one's organically that interested in you anymore mm -hmm. like they were. Yeah. I guess that's what it kind of feels like when you're hitting like your teenage years and yeah. and and uh, your mom and dad has another kid and you know, all of a sudden you're not that interested or the cutest anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, how, so how did you solve between the low point of what you just described to now a high point? Well, it's hard because as a, a big little company, you don't have the budgets that big companies have. Right. Um, not just to, um, to advertise, to retain talent, to buy real estate. Like you really don't have those options. Right. But nor do you have an easy ride. Yeah. And organizationally, I think when you hit a couple of hundred people or so, you're starting to act like a big company. You know, everything. It's a process. Yeah. Fear becomes part of it. Yeah. And people expect a bit more process because they're, they're like, oh, wait a second. You're not just this, this little company anymore. Everyone's telling you no all the time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, but it's Ericsson, my company. Yeah. Yeah. How can you tell me no? <laughs> Why are you more scared than I? Yeah. I have so much to lose. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So it's, um, that's very hard. And mm -hmm. I think that's a hard moment for a lot of entrepreneurs. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever got was from the former chairman of LVMH Fashion, um, Pierre Roussel. He told me, you know, the secret to LVMH is that we transform on the way up. And I think it's very important that Actually, reinvention, it's the mother of sustained success yeah, or sustained growth. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's, you, a, that's a great You constantly quote. have to transform into right. the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if you have an organization in which processes are slowing you down and risk-taking is going out the window, which is okay if you are Procter & Gamble. Right. But much, Maybe not. But much... <laughs> Well, you can buy something exciting. <laughs> yeah. You can buy some time, too. Yeah, yeah you can buy right. some time. Yeah. But if you are a growing mid-sized company in Los yeah. Angeles, that is going to lead to your demise. So you have to break the rhythm mm -hmm. of your business. You really have to break the rhythm of your business. You have to slow it down, slow mm -hmm. down your decision-making, and really figure out how do I break it? You know, How do I break this up? How do I regain what makes us special mm -hmm. and not in a let's have a meeting about how we can put the process in place in which we can install some creativity in our, <laughs> <laughs> in our company. Right. But rather, how do we where do I let go? Where is new yeah. talent needed? How do we change? I, I got rid of my private office. I thought it was bad juju. Mm -hmm. I said, nothing's going right in here. Yeah. And I'm not hearing anything anymore. Yeah. So uh, I moved out and, and, and I now sit on a communal desk with 12 other people. Mm -hmm. And it gives me a, a much, much better connection to the company. Mm -hmm. I had a similar moment when I was recycling a Diet Coke can. And I thought to myself, you know, here I am very bothered about where I'm putting this Diet Coke can. How many millions of gallons of water am I using? I, I realized in that moment there was a separation between the values that I and Eric have yeah. And the values of the company and the values of everyone who works for me and the values of the business. Shouldn't the values, shouldn't our, our values be the values of our company? Right. And that was maybe about a year and a half ago. And it started this 
kind of big process in which we decided that we are going to make sure that our company acts the way we would act in our private lives. So we just forget sometimes that we do it for ourselves. That's why we do this. We are the customer. We made Frame because we didn't like the product out That's there. right. Mm-hmm. And it should reflect your values. Yeah. And- we make images that we are excited about, not trying to make someone else excited about it. Right. You know, I make stores that I want to shop in. I want to be able to try a sparkling CBD water when I'm trying on jeans because I <laughs> yep. hate trying on jeans and maybe that will make it more of a... <laughs> Calm you down? Yeah. Anxiety-reducing experience. Yeah. No, but seriously, like, if you just think as a consumer yeah. and I realized that that had been lost and within the organization and we had to get back every single one of us to think about what would we do for ourselves because ultimately that's what we do. Yeah. That, makes that will make us successful. And... At this point, what's keeping you up at night? I got this poster framed from um, no a, a friend of mine. He had left <laughs> it as a parting gift. He worked for us for a few years. He became a very dear friend. And suddenly he, he, he left the company and went to work for a competitor. But he left this parting gift. It was a framed poster. It says, if you are not paranoid, you're not looking hard enough. Yeah, yeah, paranoid Which, survive. <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. I wake up every morning in a cold sweat thinking about what's not right. You know, what is right has afforded us to build a business, have a career, have a sense of purpose and, and, and pride in what we do. So that's all good. Let's now focus on what's not great. You know, what can we do better? What do we want to do different? What do we want to buy ourselves Let's make that. Let's make what we want to buy. So I wake up every morning in a cold sweat thinking that no one's interested in our brand anymore. They won't be excited about the next collection, the next things we're dropping. We started with a pair of jeans. Today, Frame is a full lifestyle brand with bags and men's and accessories and ready to wear. We started in a few wholesale accounts. Today, we're opening stores all over the country. We're constantly not necessarily betting the company i would hope but we're constantly betting our reputation Mm -hmm. we're we're, we're constantly doubling down on what we believe in and if you double down on what you believe in there's a chance people won't like it and you always wake up thinking this is the day we go cold you know wayne Jens is probably the entrepreneur who's the most involved with different ventures i mean he's obviously got frame He's working with Kim Kardashian on Skims, right? And then married to a fellow gene entrepreneur. I mean, how? what are the chances <laughs> of a couple that are both successful gene entrepreneurs with his wife with the Good American brand and then partnered with a number of different Kardashians at the same time? I mean, if you think about an L.A. power couple, that this, this is what comes to mind. But on the flip side, when it comes to life outside their hectic careers, they really just like the simple things. When you're not paranoid about frame, you know, or partnering with another Kardashian, or you probably do for another Kardashian partnership, probably. <laughs> but uh, what, what do you what do you like to do outside of work? Coach basketball. <laughs> <laughs> you said you're a good basketball yeah, coach. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd be a good basketball coach. There is very little time. My career is my hobby, and I like it that way. I have a rich social life, but really, it is about the family. It really is about investing time in my family because in the end of the day, they're always there and uh, everything else is secondary to that. Mm-hmm. So 
I, we take every single moment we can to be, you know, to be to be parents and and also try to have a, a relationship as you know, as husband and wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. And between date nights and being parents, I don't know what I do. <laughs> I watched one episode of Mandalorian. Yeah, and that was now. it. I, I tried to finish Silicon Valley yesterday, yeah. but got distracted by my phone. I mean, I, I'm not doing much. I'm, I'm yeah. watching TV. <laughs> All right, Jens, you ready for our signature rapid fire game? I hope. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Do you have any funny nicknames? J Money. What was the last time you wore a costume for Halloween? Never. Make me have <laughs> panic attacks. What's the most used app on your phone? Shopify. What sports team are you most loyal to? Patriots. Sorry. America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boo. <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song? If I could sing, I would have one. I'm not the kind of guy who dances. I'm the kind of guy who leans back. Who, yeah. who inspires you? Too many people to mention, but anyone who can look at the world objectively. What is the weirdest job you've had? Selling coffee at a car dealership. <laughs> what or who makes you laugh? Why did I say Seth Rogen? I the, don't. He doesn't well, you make. Ju- you just he, said Seth Rogen. He, he doesn't make me laugh. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any hidden talents? No, I'm talentless. <laughs> What's the last concert you went to? Post Malone. What's your favorite meal of the day? It used to be breakfast, but now I have a smoothie with spinach and collagen, so not anymore. Lunch. What did you get detention for in school? Just about everything. What is your preferred method of exercise? Um, strength. Do you have any collections? I collect wine. What is your favorite card game? Great job. Want to answer the last question? Favorite card game? Favorite card game? Too much of a gamble. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, Jens, one last question. What advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Don't make it complicated. Just don't make it complicated. Just do it. It's, It's really not that hard. Everyone thinks that someone who is successful sits on this amazing talent and you know I've spent my whole life creating businesses and I worked with some of the best entrepreneurs in the states and I would say drive they just have drive just do it wise words well thanks for joining us on unfinished biz thank you so much for having me you've been listening to unfinished biz I'm Wayne and I'm Robin we'll be back on the next episode with Nikki Levy founder and CEO of Alchemy 43, a group of aesthetics bars specializing in cosmetic micro-treatments. Nikki has spent her entire career in the beauty industry and knew she had a challenge on her hands by crossing over into the medical market. But a combination of savvy, passion, and the belief she could make the injectables experience more like a trip to the hair salon paved the way for Alchemy 43, and she's just getting started. I was under the gun. I'd already signed the lease for the first store, and I was like, we're developing a website, and we're like making signs and all the stuff, and we don't have a name. What's more important if you're developing a brand than the name of the brand, right? These are the opinions of Robin and Wayne and our guest entrepreneur and are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of VMG partners. And now, a word from our lawyers. This is not an offer to buy or sell any events. Entrepreneurs interviewed on this podcast may not be associated with VMG businesses and discussions of their companies should not be viewed as an endorsement by VMG.